0: Welcome to GOLA. I'm Katie Parla, a Rome-based food and beverage writer, culinary guide, and cookbook author.
1: And I'm Danielle Caligari, assistant professor of Italian at Dartmouth College and a certified
0: specialist of wine. I love a meme. Do you love a meme? I love a meme. I can get behind a meme. What we're going to be talking about today is perhaps one of the most memeable concepts in food. And it might not instantly strike you as an Italian phenomenon, but it is inextricably linked to Italian culture, believe it or not. Especially Italian food culture and strong feelings at that. Yeah, especially hashtag Italians mad at food. (laughs) We're talking about pineapple and ham pizza.
1: Oh my God, Katie. I'm already just breaking out into a sweat thinking of how much backlash we're going to get from our Italian fans on this one.
0: So what's so interesting to me And I'm sure that you've encountered this, too, is that publicly an Italian eater will declare pineapple and ham on pizza is an abomination. But then when you talk to them, they're like, actually. It's kind of good. (laughs) Actually, I had it and it was like, I thought it was going to be gross. And it was actually good. And I'll actually, I'm going to quote a not Italian person, RIP to the God, Anthony Bourdain, Mm -hmm. who visited Rome in 2011 for the layover. And was treated to a pineapple and ham pizza at Pizzarium, yeah. which is literally around the corner from where we're recording. And he said, quote, this shouldn't be this good. Yeah. <laughs> but my question is, why the fuck not? Don't I, we eat fruit and salty things all the time? What's the big deal?
1: Absolutely, Katie. I, we have actually a lot to talk about here. I'm, I'm getting excited and, and starting to spiral out because there are so many directions we could take this. I want to start by saying exactly what you said, which is this is near and dear to Italians' hearts for the reason that we have discussed in, with reference to all kinds of foods, which is that uh, in Italy, there are, there are rules. But then there is, of course, the number one rule of all Italians, which is that rules are meant to be broken. So when it comes to eating things like pineapple and ham on pizza, of course, you're going to hear both lines equally strong, strongly represented with one being no way that's not allowed. And the other being, I don't care. It tastes good.
0: That's right. And it's a hot summer day in Rome. Every single person in the entire city. Is daydreaming about prosciutto and melon. Oh, yeah. Or prosciutto and figs. And in a sense, it's not that far away from what you might find on a pizza these days, especially in a city where there's tons of experimentation going on in the pizza by the slice category in particular, and where fruits are constantly being paired with cured meats of various kinds in order to form an interesting topping that introduces not just contrasting flavors. But also at times contrasting temperatures yeah. as often cold figs are uh are added to a pizza uh that has just been reheated and then room temperature prosciutto is draped over it to create this really fun, dynamic flavor. What you won't find as much of, even at pizzarium, is <laughs> potato. Sorry. I was just thinking what I had at Pizzarium I the other day. About potato to say, pizza.
1: You're like, my favorite thing is this <laughs> in your mind.
0: <laughs> what you won't encounter uh, probably with the one exception of that day in 2011, is pineapple and ham pizza. It's not something that is widely available. That doesn't mean that it doesn't exist anywhere. I just have never encountered it in real life.
1: Well, real life depends on the life you live, Katie, because part of the reason you have never encountered it is because you are a hashtag pizza snob, if we're talking about memes, and you never go somewhere that just makes the infinite sort of insane, bizarre list of pizzas that you will find in some places in the city. I regret to inform you.
0: Yeah, true. I mean, also, hashtag never forget, (laughs) Naples is the capital of hot dog round, and french fry pizza. The vegetal
1: and, and patatine frite is a thing. So you know what? Let's begin at the beginning as we often try to and then get <laughs> go straight off the rails anyway. Um with a little bit of background here, because the question of rules around food is where we get into history, right? A rule exists and the idea is that it somehow predates any of our discussions and so as a result of that is the arbiter of what is right or wrong. But we know for a fact that uh, many of the foods we talk about as having deep traditions and strong parameters set around them are actually relatively recent inventions that conform to ideas that don't necessarily resonate with a, a, a kind of really um, organic or authentic representation of Italian culture. So, you know, Where do we begin with pineapple and ham? You're saying you mostly don't see it at a serious pizzeria here, which is true. You mostly don't see it anywhere, period. Um, But people are screaming about it all the time anyway.
0: It's something that people love to talk about, and particularly Italians and mostly those who have not traveled uh, to the United States have a lot of sort of stereotypes about what people in North America Eat, not just the US, they've got all sorts of ideas about Canada as well. <laughs>
1: not to worry. <laughs>
0: um, so, and then they like don't really know that much about Mexican. Uh, regional cuisines, mm-hmm. um, as demonstrated by actually a number of restaurants in this immediate neighborhood. Alas, um, moving on.
1: <laughs> but I mean, back to the very beginning. Then, where are? When does pineapple become part of Italian food? Period. And when does prosciutto? Right. Let's let's like yeah. you know put put our markers in the sand here.
0: I mean, Via Pani Sperna in yeah. Monti <laughs> tells us of an ancient prosciutto tradition in the heart of the Suburra, the ancient uh, Roman uh, slum. Um, we have inscriptions in a variety of catacombs that show prosciutto or mention prosciutto makers as a uh, as a, a job. Um, and so prosciutto, ham in general, is a really ancient food that comes in many forms, many shapes and sizes. Pineapple is a much more recent arrival to Italy. Um, But as soon as it is uh, discovered from a European standpoint, it is transported to Europe and becomes a curiosity. I assume that one of the things that made people so curious about it is the way that it grows. (laughs) So if you've ever seen an artichoke plant, imagine like sort of bushy leaves protruding from the ground, and then all of a sudden, like a a little stock grows and then that stock grows a pineapple that's just kind of it looks like it's levitating it, this is the one this is the one thing on planet earth that i am so deeply afraid of i i just
1: love i'm hearing you describe a pineapple and what our listeners don't are not able to perceive just yet is the the firm firm presence of a profound fear of this fruit which i cannot understand the best part about this is I I showed you a picture of a pineapple growing on uh, the property of a family member. I said, "Oh my god, isn't this so cute?" And I'm so excited to have fresh pineapple. You responded, "I live in fear of pineapples. I never want to see that again. That's triggering."
0: So, <laughs> I have to say, it's not the pineapple, disembodied fruit. <laughs> Plucked from its terrifying mass of leaves. I, I can't explain this phobia. That's one of the reasons why it's like, it's a thing, right? I can't it, explain it. I just, I see those plants, it freaks me out. But like so many things that were um, being encountered by uh, explorers in the 15th and 16th centuries, it became a curiosity that was introduced all over Europe, uh, eventually through the Portuguese to India, and then ultimately, uh, where it thrives um, in in a very important way into the Philippines, and we have ancient, sorry, we've got, well, not, I guess they're ancient to us. Uh, we have 16th century and 15th century writings about it. Like Columbus, literally, like saw the first one on a date that we can identify in mm-hmm. November 1493, um, and then one of the very controversial colonial documenters of that period with. Uh, the best name in spite of not having quite uh, an impressive uh, respect for the people he was encountering, Antonio Pigafetta, (laughs) writes about it in some of his writings.
1: Yeah, I will say, besides the kind of colonial curiosity that you're talking about, it is, it's a weird looking fruit. The way it grows is weird. Um, Everything that was encountered for the first time by Europeans coming to the new world, to what would be called the new world, scare quotes, and that eventually became part of the Colombian exchange of foods across the Atlantic was interesting by virtue of being different and something that had not been cultivated on European soils before. But pineapple stands out. And The other thing I will say is that you are not the only friend who has said to me that they are afraid of pineapples growing. So apparently, ananophobia is a thing. Yeah. Um, What is scarier to me is what happened as a result of desire for pineapple, because we know that um, part of the uh, uh one one piece of uh larger colonial projects that were often uh parallel to ran parallel to or complementary to uh the growth of pineapple was the um use of of Uh, annexed uh, violently uh, territory to uh, create plantation spaces that were completely dedicated to monocultures. Um, This is the case for uh, areas of Central and South America, uh, uh, also uh, Hawaii, obviously, uh, in particular in the 19th century after the U.S. and Britain conspired to Uh, unseat in a coup d'etat, the uh, sitting monarch, and uh, take over the Hawaiian archipelago. They hand over the territory to Dole, Uh, whose name then becomes famous to all of us by uh, the canned fruit that will reach us from those spaces. And uh, and so then the world has access to pineapple, scary or not, in its uh, natural growing form. It is uh, no longer such a huge curiosity for most of North America, at least, and even the uh, kind of general European population. What the question is then is, how do we come to this pairing? And Kitty, you already prompted us for this, right? You said we have uh, a tradition, a very long tradition in this case, well pre- predating the uh, the Columbian Exchange, colonialism, imperialism, and European uh, new newly developed European habits in the uh, wake of those of those projects, which, which is to say, uh, pairing uh, sweet fresh fruits with uh, dried, cured, salty meats. Um, this is something that comes from the ancient Galenic medical uh, practices that we've talked about here together, right? right. Which it was is,
0: healthy for you to pair certain things exactly. and unhealthy to consume others or avoid others.
1: Absolutely. And so it makes sense, right? You are looking at a fruit that's going to have the humoral properties, if we think of the four humors and these the uh, dietary science that's introduced uh, to European world through Arabic text, is... Telling you, fruit is cold and damp. It looks it for what it's worth, right? Um, mm-hmm. A piece of melon is cool, moist. It's naturally in that state. And what are you going to do to make sure that it doesn't unduly affect your body with those qualities? It make your your body's own uh, complexion, as it's called at the time, or your body's own conditions, also too cool and too moist. Well, you pair it with a food that balances that, the heat and. Uh, dryness, if we're using the medical terms of the time, but for our purposes, the kind of uh, deep saltiness and umami flavors that naturally contrast that sweetness and juiciness of the fruits.
0: So the fruit and cured meat pairing was nothing new. Definitely not. uh, To the Italian peninsula, but there's a sort of big gap between when those things are being enjoyed and even when prosciutto and melon are being consumed and when a Uh, Greek immigrant to Ontario, Canada (laughs) opens, you know, this guy, Sam, uh, Sam Panopoulos opens a a food business with his brothers, right? They think, wouldn't it be fun to like play with some toppings? They put pineapple and ham on a pizza and they're like, this this is kind of good. Let's keep doing this. And so it's in 1962 that these Greek immigrants to Canada invent the Hawaiian pizza, so-called, I believe, because the brand of pineapple they were using was like just generically called like Hawaiian. Right. Um, And so Hawaii was already deeply associated with pineapple cultivation. In 1962, it was, you know, 63 years after the Dole uh, Company took over uh, large swaths of uh, Hawaiian uh, land. There is a little bit of debate over when, uh, on a commercial level, ham and pineapple are paired Mm -hmm. because some... um, uh there's a the claim that there was a sort of German sandwich called the Hawaiian mm-hmm. toast that paired these things, yeah. but still that's not pizza. No, toast and pizza are two different things. Two different not even close. Nothing to do with each other. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean just bread, you know, same. Actually they're pretty much the same. Okay. <laughs> um so uh Hawaiian pizza, I mean, because it's like a fun gimmick, right. it takes off and it yeah. spreads all through really all through the world, maybe with the exception of the Italian peninsula, to be yeah. honest. And because it it can taste good. It can also taste really bad. There's a lot of really bad pizza out there. And I don't believe that like cliche that uh, there's no such thing as bad pizza. Oh no, no. That's, no, that's actually not true. Yeah. I mean, there's no so much there's no such thing as bad pizza if you've had six drinks. Yes, that no. is true. <laughs> but, you know, there is, and we talk about this all the time, there is a reality in which pizza is made with dough that has been improperly fermented, with sort of bottom-of-the-barrel-quality flour, uh, loaded with oil yeah. uh, in the dough, which, at least in my practice, is not something that, that I embrace. Um, loaded with cheese that's not like really fresh dairy or anything remotely like it, more like an emulsification of dehydrated milk powder and oils to approximate the look of mozzarella. Um, and then tomato sauce that's coming from tomatoes cultivated God knows where, uh, God knows by whom, uh, being treated, God knows how. Yeah. And so, if you put together a bunch of bad things, that's going to taste bad. Yeah. No matter what you put on it. So, uh, the uh, the sort of stigma of the Hawaiian pizza, I think, is is actually more appropriately combined with the stigma of bad pizza, Definitely. right? Yes. Rather than I actually right. that pairing being offensive, uh, because I've had Hawaiian pizza. Some of it's gross. Some of it tastes good. And I will say, I prefer it without tomato sauce. Which brings us to another important pairing. When you have acid with acid in an Italian context, that like causes anxiety for many people, including myself, right? You don't want to put too many acidic things together. Now, tomato sauce on pasta, that's fine. No one complains about that usually. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have tomato sauce, like basically a margarita plus plus pineapple, everyone gets very uncomfortable in the room.
1: It's too much. It's exactly what we talk about when we're thinking of just kind of a a much more general um, portrait or landscape of Italian culinary sensibilities, right? It's leave space for everything to have its appropriate role and to be enjoyed as it should be. So if you're looking at the margarita, well, wire those things together, it makes sense. You have the rich acidity of the tomatoes, the brightness there, you have the uh, unctuousness and the fattiness of the cheese and the uh, tanginess, especially if you have the the, the mozzarella di buffalo, and then the uh, fresh lightness of uh, the basilico right? that lightens everything up. And that uh, brings an herbaceousness that is not going to be uh, apparent in the other products. Pineapple has to be brought into play in an appropriate way. So first things first, good start with good pizza. You need good dough. You need to have a person who understands how to handle that dough, how to fire it correctly. And then you have to think about how are you going to combine things in a way that makes sense as a topping, right? A farcitura rather than a, uh, a pairing on the plate. So, you know, talking about uh, figs and prosciutto, or, uh, which I love and uh, we're about to come into season here. So I'm pretty excited about that. I had a fig the other day that was just like not quite there yet, which is actually worse than no fig yeah, at all. It's the
0: fioroni. They're not intense at yeah.
1: all. Yeah. Anyway, <sighs> we're getting there. Um, the, or, or prosciutto melone on the plate. Okay. They're by themselves. They're sitting there. It's up to you. You do the pairing. They're, they're living like how they should be. Pineapple and prosciutto come give you a whole other kind of issue already because pineapple is juicier, right? If you get, a fr- you get a fresh slice of mature pineapple, you're going to have a lot of juice. That's what makes it delicious. Mm-hmm. I love it. And Italians eat it by itself as a dessert all the time. In fact, it's all like one of the, the most common time. things. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all the time. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's lauded for its digestive potential, right? Yeah. It's served... Unadorned on a plate, usually like carved up in some like very cute way. Already sliced so for you. It's always
1: very complicated how they get into that pineapple. I'm it. always very
0: impressed. It's yeah, it's awesome. Um, but you know, like if you're gonna put a juicy thing on top of dough and try to cook it, that's a really hard thing to navigate. So you also yeah. have to be thinking about how much moisture am I bringing to this topping, considering there's also in most Hawaiian pizza cases tomato sauce, wet <laughs> cheese.
1: Well, low
0: moisture mozzarella yeah. usually in in a place uh, instead of like a fresh, juicy yeah. uh, fior di latte. Um, and then, how is that pineapple going to be sliced so that it eats properly? I think it really excels as a topping if sliced super, super thin, mm-hmm. so that it's just it's um, imparting
1: dehydrates in the oven, like when... yeah, yeah, like mm-hmm. you get
0: a little bit of caramelization, but yeah. you still get some structure and yeah. and a little bit of uh, juice to it. But it's it's not dumping water onto your pizza to make it into like a little tomato soup pond right. with like a tangy uh, <laughs> sauce on it. So um, I appreciate a Hawaiian pizza. Um, if you would like to see people in the act of not enjoying <laughs> even a glimpse of Hawaiian pizza, Danielle turned me on to a really fun YouTube okay. uh, video. Just just search for uh, Hawaiian pizza prank <laughs> and you will see a Neapolitan pizza yolo delivering pizzas to people's homes in Naples, and sometimes being violently assaulted.
1: Yeah, there's one, a woman of a certain age really makes him scared in a way that I'm kind of impressed, but also equally scared by viewing, yeah.
0: There also was, I mean, I try to not be on TikTok all, at all, but (laughs) usually I just am all day. Most Um, of the day, yeah. Uh, but I saw it's basically a couple, like a, a woman from Miami and her uh, Calabrese boyfriend, and mm-hmm. she orders a Hawaiian pizza, and he just like, the record stops. <laughs> of course, it's like all planned because yeah, she's filming for, yeah, him. Yeah. Um, and he's like, I have to go. Like, if you just eat that pizza, like, I have to leave. To <laughs> like, I have to leave this relationship and this country. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, so that, that seemed like an extreme response, but also not one that seems like over the top. I
1: think, you know, (laughs) that's a whole other issue. And actually I would... I would love to dedicate an episode. Maybe we can get one somewhere down the line. With um, we'll we'll solicit questions in advance from our audience and um, talk about you know things that you that are unforgivable and in, in your <laughs> in, in your in your eating habit, eating and drinking habits. But um, I think the the fact that there is such a strong reaction to this and that it has become so memeable in itself is actually still pretty interesting because, you know, we started by saying Italians have rules, blah, blah, blah. Um, But there are a few foods that have become ultra provocative in this way, Mm -hmm. right? And that it doesn't... Actually, track that easily. There's something about the Americanness, I think, of the associated Americanness. Sure. As we know, as you said, that actually it seems likely, or it's the closest we have to an origin story, is from a, a Greek Canadian uh, restaurant owner who who introduced the the recipe. So, in reality, it's not truly a U.S. American in that sense. But the idea that it's an American invention that has somehow invaded this Italian space speaks to some of the anxiety there, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, one of the issues that we have, even with, and and I, I think we could track this to a thing like Carbonara as well, right? There's something about this particular combination that has a kind of a colonial undertone to it, right? And I and I think what got me thinking about that is, you know, you start talking about pineapple, and you can't get away from the fact that any foods that came from the Americas to to the European continent tend to be uh, embroiled in some of the kind of most violent politics of uh, the last several centuries, and uh, and and the subjugation of of people to interests that often had nothing to do with the food items themselves or anything uh, regarding that, but rather um, politics and economic um, uh,
0: strong arming.
1: Exactly. Yes. Um, But having thought about that and then coming to it in this, you know, ostensibly much more fun Italian context did make me take a step back and think to myself for a moment, you know. Some of those feelings have a valid space that is colored by fear, by the fact that the U.S. presence in products like that has been a a nefarious one at times, um, both because the U.S. meddled heavily in Italian product in Italian politics, rather right up until the early '90s. After the wall came down, Italy was seen mm-hmm. as the likely next domino in the um, communist bloc, and as a result of that, the U.S. invested literally and metaphorically in what was happening uh, in Italy, and um, uh, often at the expense of the comforts and uh, and decision making of the people of Italy and uh, at another level just in terms of the kind of inability to have the room to stretch your legs within your own cultural space right there's been a lot of getting America shoved down your throat in in the last several decades in Italy that is something that's both embraced but also uh, presents just a, a Something. Attention. Attention.
0: Yes, absolutely. Attention. Uh, Prati could not be a better place to be having this discussion because we have the Vatican around the corner. <laughs> we have a very important and long standing Filipino yeah. community here. The embassy is just a sure, short walk corner. away. Yeah. Um, we have untold numbers of like faux McDonald's. We have numerous McDonald's. Mm-hmm. Cultural imperialism from especially a fast food standpoint, is undeniable here, and cultural imperialism is a major, major euphemism. Yeah. Um, and you see, I mean, just anecdotally in the past, even just five years, the number of businesses on the tra- sort of trafficky hubs of Prati have just been turned over into concept, fast-casual restaurants that are drawing a lot of the sort of... Uh, inspiration from the trends of the united states yeah um the uk to some extent as well mm-hmm. but i find the you know the the arteries of prati to be unrecognizable as sort of roman mm-hmm. spaces yeah. as a result but at the same time we know that italians although there is often a vocal rejection of things coming from outside there is also a sort of conflicting reality that that there's a a tremendous embracing of the very same things so i think tension is is certainly a word that that sums it all up um and you know i think that uh when i when i first started thinking about this as a subject i i never imagined that it would take us like all over the world and we'd be talking about migration and um uh And the Colombian exchange and the subjugation of people in the Caribbean and the Philippines. But it's a big reminder that even something as sweet as a pineapple comes with an incredible baggage along with it. And I hope that, you know, our millions of Italian listeners are enlightened (laughs) to this and that when they ridicule the Mm -hmm. perceived Americanness of pineapple and ham, uh, a.k.a. Hawaiian pizza, that they also reflect on sort of Italy's role in yeah. in all of this, especially the colonial period that led to uh, untold uh, exploitation and violence.
1: Well, we really did it this time, Katie. We managed to take pizza with pineapple and ham to a place of profound darkness and true pessimism
0: it's true I mean just like if you want to be really happy all the time just never read don't read stuff don't think don't learn yeah don't like just don't reflect on stuff that's a really cool way to stay happy all the time no but I I mean I kid and because there are just so many foods out there the more you read about them, the more they get ruined. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: this is, I, I'm, I'm glad to do it. It's, you know, we, we try to balance what we cover on the podcast all the time, both in terms of the content, but also in the format. And, you know, we've recorded some more historical deep dives, looking at themes and looking at figures lately. And we've been on the road and we've been trying to approach our uh, understanding of Italian food and beverage culture in as many new ways and changing ways as possible but you know coming back to something that seems a little bit frivolous and fun and being able to walk it towards these really important questions of how our cultural sensitivities and our decisions about consumption affect everything from, you know, global economics to the ability for a, a local community to maintain its identity is, you know, what makes this all worth it. So I'm I'm glad to take a deep, dark dive with you, Katie. And I will also definitely need to have some pizza at or Bonchi after this. There's just no question.
0: So we're going to do something that we don't usually do. We're going to dedicate this episode to Sam Panopoulos' the inventor of the Hawaiian pizza who passed away in the summer of 2017 at the age of 83, 63 years after he arrived in Canada from Greece. RIP.
1: Migration is what brought us to where we are from and to where we are now. So we're always thinking about it. We can't wait to share more stories like this with all of you. Keep listening to GOLA, subscribe, follow me at Dr. Caligari's cabinet, and Katie? I'm at Katie Parla. Arrivederci.
0: Ciao. We love our supporters and hope you become one too by visiting patreon.com backslash golapod. And now is the special shout out time for those who support us at the Ghiotti level. So thanks so much to Gabe Del Virginia of New York City and our buddies, Allison and Gino Ruggiero of Fiorala in Rochester.
1: We also have our wonderful friend Leah at Semolino Artisanal Pasta in Pasadena, California, and Bobby Mazulo at Mazulo Pizzeria in Sacramento. Join us for more content, early access, special discounts, and news of everything Gola in advance on patreon.com backslash GolaPod.